0: Hi, I'm Brandon O'Brien from Redeemer City to City. In this series, Church and Outbreak, we're talking with staff and ministry partners around the country as we try to figure out together how to respond wisely and faithfully to the global COVID-19 pandemic. Beginning March 15th, many churches around the country and around the world were prohibited from gathering for weekend services. So church leaders scrambled to get their services online. Now more and more cities have shut down all but essential services. People everywhere are practicing social distance and the implications for ministry are huge. What should churches keep doing? What should they stop doing? What should they start doing that they've never done before? How many of these changes are for right now and how many should be permanent? Thanks for listening. Hi, uh, Lois, thank you for being with us today.
1: It's great to be here.
0: Can you tell us, before we get started in more specific detail, describe what you normally spend your time doing for Redeemer City to City?
1: Well, I'm the Director of Counseling and Leadership Development, and I was originally um, recruited because City to City, uh, the global leaders were concerned about the spiritual and emotional health of their pastors and leaders around the world and they wanted to have a counseling resource available for anybody who needed it. And then I'm also uh, just working with uh, preparing counselors, lay counselors, as well as professional counselors in all the different cities around the world so that the pastors have support because pastors alone don't have all the time and energy to do all the work of counseling every single individual. And so my work has been to just prepare the whole church to disciple one another, so that uh, whether you're having a cup of coffee somewhere or just riding in the van with your family, that the advice that we give one another is biblical and, uh, and that we are looking at our relationships redemptively so that we're speaking truth and grace and wisdom from God's word to one another.
0: I love that. I don't know that a lot of people uh, without some help would think about counseling and the sort of uh, pastoral counseling care that you offer as a part of discipleship. And I think it's a really wonderful thing that you cast it in those terms. I think that's wonderful. So tell me, we're living in an unusual moment, um, and we're going to talk about uh, the kinds of things we need to be thinking about in an unusual moment. But to sort of establish a baseline for everyone listening, as you're equipping pastors and you're working with leaders in cities and, and helping them understand how to disciple one another in um, uh, the ways you've just described, how would you describe your typical approach to Counseling and the coaching that you're doing with these uh, church leaders?
1: Well, you have to do a lot of listening because everybody that you work with, first of all, they come with a certain set of problems or they're emotionally anxious or depressed. And so they want some insight, they want someone to help them work through whatever they are um, dealing with. And so one spends a lot of time at the beginning just listening because. Everybody's different. Everybody's unique. Everybody has a unique story that addresses their lives. Ever since since people, I guess, even way back uh, to the time when sin first entered the world, when Adam and Eve decided they could do life or they thought they could do life without God. um, Ever since then, people have a, a certain understanding of what they need to do to be significant and to be valuable. And so usually those those values are shaped within a, a person's family of origin. And so people are are beginning to understand what they or they think they understand, what they need to do to be valuable. So we call it like a system of self-redemption. Everybody, everybody has this sense of not enoughness. I'm there's something about me, I'm not sure what it is. Is obviously we know it's separation from God, but people don't know that. and so they they develop a storyline and strategies. If I can do this and if I can do that, then i will I will feel good about myself, and I'll erase that sense of that gnawing sense of I'm just not enough. And so I listened to a lot to their stories to try to understand the story that they tell themselves. and uh, And then from there, Begin to help them to understand that maybe there's a different story that's even better. I know that uh, when I was studying at Westminster and we got to the book of Hebrews, it just blew me away. Uh, I think it's my favorite book in the Bible uh, because it just is the culmination of the whole Bible and and how it all just uh, crescendos into Christ. You know, he he is the big sacrifice. He is the the best high priest. And uh, so during that class, I was so blown away by the whole biblical narrative that I sat down one day and drew out just very, very normal, very nothing fancy, just drew out the whole story of redemption from beginning to end because I wanted to figure out where I fit in because obviously that story is ongoing and, and the story of the Bible is my story. It's everybody's story. Well, it helped me so much and it helped me to begin to understand God's purposes and helped me to let go of the story that I had written for myself. And I began to share this whatever helps me i usually share with my clients if it doesn't work for me it's not going to work for anybody (laughs) and so i shared it with my clients and i it resonated and so uh then when i would teach my different classes i always would put it up on the whiteboard because it seemed like even christians well i had been a christian for years it seems like we had gotten parts of the story but we hadn't seen it in its overview and so uh I started using that more and more actually in my old counseling office at the back of the door. I had the big poster with a whole storyline. And at so many times, we would just look at the storyline to make sure we were taking all our cues from God's story and not the story that we've made up. Because what good is it going to do for me to make up a story? That isn't the real story.
0: Hmm. Yeah, can you give me an example of a story that I might tell myself, or that you might tell yourself, to try to make up for that sense of not enough? This that you were describing, and how you would use the biblical story to help address that need or that void that they're experiencing.
1: Well, I have a recent example. Um, actually, she has given me permission to share it, but I have a dear friend, and uh, she and her husband. Uh, When for their third child, they found out that uh, the little girl had Down syndrome. And uh, so they were getting advised from right and left to abort the child. But uh, they came in to see me and we discussed the the storyline. And, you know, we have a sovereign God who is in charge of everything. And they decided to keep the baby. Uh, They knew that they were not the author of life and death. So they kept the baby. And just about six weeks ago, of course the baby is born. She's uh, 14 months old, precious little girl, just a delight to everybody. And, uh, but it's just about, just before I went off on this last trip to Bangkok, uh, she texts me and she said, Lois, uh, little Isabella has leukemia. Mm. So I went to see her and, uh, Here was her interpretation that we're talking about interpretations Mm -hmm. with tears in her eyes. She says, Lois, why did God allow this? says, we've been so faithful. And right there. So one of the principles from the storyline is that in Genesis three, when uh, mankind rebelled against God, it's like the whole world has fallen. It's broken. It is a result of man's audacity that we thought we could play God. But for her specifically, she wasn't responsible for that child having Down syndrome. And I I could tell right away her interpretation was going to be, is God not good? Is he weak? Have we not been faithful enough? And right away, I could hear all her interpretations. And I was able to, at some point, in the middle of all the tears, because even if even if we have the right interpretation, it still hurts, right? Uh, to be able to say, you know what, this is just effects of the fall. Hmm. Let's look at the storyline. Something happened back then in Genesis 3, and uh, you, are, you and I, we're, we're suffering from the effects of the fall. So that's an example of how people, uh, if you have the wrong interpretation, it's like having a, a baby with Down syndrome who also has leukemia is heartbreaking. Mm-hmm. But the interpretation that you give yourself can make that suffering even worse Hmm. or it can carry you into hope. And and so if if she's if she and her she and her husband in their sorrow are thinking, well, God doesn't love me, well, now I have to suffer this all by myself with a God who doesn't love me, who's probably not even there. Hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. And so
1: it makes her suffering all the worse. Versus the storyline informs. Look, Jesus came because it's broken. He came to to restore. He came to bring us to a whole new earth. Uh, it's this is not this is not about punishing you, and it's not about a weak God. So that's what I mean by our interpretations are so important.
0: Yeah, that's wonderful, and I think it's a good um, way to kind of bring us to the present moment because we're globally experiencing a traumatic experience, right? kind of no matter where you are on the planet right now. Everyone is dealing, to a greater or lesser degree, with the coronavirus in New York City, uh, where we both are. Um, even though we're not in person together, we are on uh, shelter-in-place cautions, and so people are not not limited to their you know physical homes. But we're not gathering. We're we're able to leave for exercise and that kind of thing. But it's. The city is quiet. Um, only essential services are open. Everyone else is required to be home. Um, and this has separated families from one another, neighbors from one another, congregations from one another. And so I'm, I'm wondering if you can help us maybe think through what kind of questions might people be asking themselves about this? What new pressures or anxieties do you think people will be feeling now because of the, the new conditions that many of us find ourselves living in?
1: Well, I think there will be um, a heightened anxiety, a heightened depression, because if everybody has set up certain strategies, when we think of self-redemption, it's like mankind is convinced that they can master their own life. They're convinced that they're self-sufficient, and so everything that people have built up, and of course, your one's job right now is 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 very important, and so as everything begins to crumble. I think people are going to be waking up to the illusion that we are not self-sufficient. We are not autonomous. And they're not going to know what to do. So it's like the, 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 the rug has been pulled out from under them, and they're going to have their interpretations. What do I do? I kind of think that this is a golden moment in counseling or for the church, because we don't have to persuade people anymore that they're weak. It's just obvious that... How is it possible that one little invisible germ paralyzes the whole world? I was just in Bangkok and it's paralyzed. I couldn't go to Australia because of the virus globally. And so I think this is a wonderful time to say, hey, um, can I introduce a different story? And uh, we, do, we, do, we were created for God. We do need uh, him in our lives. We do need a redeemer. And going back to the storyline, I think one of the, the teachings that I use the most in counseling is the doctrine of the fall. If we don't get the fall, we won't understand life. It broke back then, and we have been living. Uh, Paul Tripp uses the example of, of having a, a beautiful crystal vase, and you just drop it, and now there's broken glass everywhere. So ever since the fall, ever since that day of uh, rebellion, uh, it's like our whole planet is full of broken glass and it hurts to live on planet Earth. And that uh, people don't, if you don't know that, you won't know how to live. And so the, the coronavirus is just part of the fall. There are germs that affect people. Uh, do we like it? No. But when you reframe the story is now you begin to understand why, God, why Jesus came. He came to restore. He came because it's such a mess. He came because he hates the coronavirus. He doesn't want the world to live like that. And so the whole storyline of scripture is about this God who delights in his people. And the moment that it broke, right after Genesis 3, in that same chapter, he starts talking about redemption so he came because it's a mess and uh he it's almost like him saying i'm i'm going to i'm not willing to spend eternity without my people and in this broken world even if it even if i have to go all the way to hell and back that's how important you are to me that's how much i delight in you and so we have the whole story of the bible of a god coming to rescue to heal and of course we have this wonderful end of the story where we will have a new earth where there will be no more broken glass there will be no more coronavirus and uh so the story of the bible is so positive and it gives hope and i don't i think right now we have this wonderful opportunity to begin to help people to see this narrative that they probably have never thought about before
0: yeah most of the people who will be engaging with this conversation are church leaders who will have to be reminding themselves of the story. right? They have their own spiritual and mental health to look after. Many of them will also have their own families that they uh, have to look after. Many of them are living in close proximity (laughs) now to those families. Uh, And then they've also got congregations uh, who they usually enjoy some proximity to and are now sort of distanced from. And I Wonder if you could kind of help guide the people listening to uh, how they may think about care for themselves and helping to tell this story for themselves or families and, uh, and the people that they minister to.
1: Yeah, I think we, we do have to embed ourselves in the story. One of the most important teachings in Scripture is the understanding of what it means to be united with Christ, which is the privilege we have, because he couldn't unite himself to us in our sinful status. So what does he do? He deals with our sin. He takes our punishment. He, uh, he, he forgives us so that he can unite himself to us. And when he unites himself to us, he comes and lives within us by his spirit. You know, we have that verse in scripture, um, uh, I have been crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And so it's the, the replacement. I used to think the replacement is like, he's going to come make me a better version of Lois. And I now I have to do it in my own strength. And the Lord taught me a few years ago that no, the replacement is Christ. So if we stop and think about Christ, who if he's actually living inside of me, that's our potential. That's our potential to handle um, the coronavirus. We don't have, in our own, in our own self, we can't do it. But if we can let go and say, okay, Jesus, if you're in me, then think of the consequences. All power, his resurrected power is in me. His wisdom, his kindness. When I don't have enough love, he does. When I'm tired, he never gets tired. And so I'm learning to get over that belief that I'm supposed to do the Christian life by myself. And just to surrender, and just say, Lois, drop dead. You were crucified. You gave up. You gave up your rights to yourself. Now let Jesus live His life through you. And notice when I started to get anxious, it's when I've gone back into Lois has to do with the Christian life. And I know I'm weak. I can't. So therefore, I'm getting nervous because in my weakness, I I know I can't. And so learning. To take anxiety as an opportunity to just say, "Let's drop dead. Let Jesus, access Jesus. Let him do it. Hmm. So I think this is a w- wonderful time for pastors to being, applying that to themselves, because a the Christian life was never meant for us doing it on our own. It's all him. But learning, learning to surrender and actually access the power that is available to us that I think we, we don't even realize it's there. So I would say the church needs to do a lot of teaching on the fall, effects of the fall and uh, union with Christ, because that's our hope. We'll never do this on our own. And so um, that's what I would tell pastors.
0: Can you recommend some resources or places that people might look as they're trying to figure out how to reprioritize placing themselves within the story of God's redemption? Um, Can you point to some helpful things that could get them started or take them deeper in that journey?
1: One book that I remember reading in seminary that I liked a lot was Craig Bartholomew's The Drama of Scripture. And uh, that just kind of in a more detailed manner explains that. Um, Paul Tripp's book on instruments in the Redeemer's hands is excellent. It starts out with a whole drama of scripture and then um, makes, uh, makes it very applicable to counseling. And of course, City to City will have a whole website with teachings from Tim and other other scholars uh, that always will be pointing us towards the the storyline.
0: Excellent. Thank you very much for that. And um, I always like to ask uh, people at the end of these conversations if there was anything I didn't ask or that we didn't talk about that you want to be sure to say. Um, Any parting words you'd like to leave everyone with?
1: Yes, absolutely. You know, we are at a time when when we are like, we're almost like under house arrest here, <laughs> isolation. And, uh, but I don't like the word social distancing. I think we should call it uh, let's practice being social from a distance. Hmm. It's physical distancing, but it shouldn't be social distancing because since we're made in God's image and He lives in a community. Uh, we have to have relationships. We were created for relationships. So um, to be able to um, uh, maintain social relationships, and I made a list here of um, encouraging people to have video chats. I think a lot of this people know already. Uh, Video chats, uh, use FaceTime, video conferences. And so just make sure that one stays in contact with people and, uh, keeping one's body healthy, mind, mood, relationships, Uh, get outside, exercise, get sunshine. Let's practice being social from a distance and being very thankful that we live in this day and age where we do have the internet, where we do have FaceTime, where we do have Zoom, where we do have Google chats uh, and take advantage of that and make sure that we're connecting throughout the day uh, with somebody like yesterday i I was indoor all all day, and I was feeling a bit weird. You can just begin to feel a little bit weird as a human being. <laughs> and And then, in the evening, three of my girlfriends, we all had this uh, chat, a Zoom chat, and it was so much fun. and but when we hung up, I felt better. It just shows the need to be in contact with people. So there's that. Um, I know one gal. she will call her mom and they end up with FaceTime. And they will have dinner together at night. Uh, so just making sure that her mom had some social contact. There's new technology. One can either, even have a Netflix party. So I think uh, we're at a wonderful stage where we can take advantage of all these one, this wonderful technology. And so these are just some common sense tips. The one thing that uh, you didn't mention, if I may mention it, of course um, uh Governor Cuomo, when his talk two days ago, which I thought was so so uh encouraging, he said, "Times of crisis brings out uh our best and our worst, our strengths and our weaknesses and so i for us to take this time and as God reveals weaknesses, whether it's too much anxiety, too much uh concerned for the future let let whatever is revealed be used by god in his grace to draw us to himself you know acts 17 says that god has determined the time set for us and the exact places where we should live he did this so that men would seek him and find him though he's not far from us for in him we live and move and have our being. So I think God doesn't love the brokenness, but boy, does he sure use it for his redemptive purposes. And so he wants intimacy with us. So I think that if he's determined this time, it's because he wants us to seek him and know him and be more and more transformed by him.
0: Wonderful. Thank you so much for your time, Lewis. This is really encouraging.
1: Thank you. <laughs>